Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Counterpunch Podcast, a weekly Cracked Rackets production. Alongside my co-host, Archit Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we're here to break down, analyze, and yes, sometimes argue about the biggest pro tennis headlines. Archit, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. One of the first times we've actually done this in back-to-back weeks. So Consistency. Big win for us, yeah. Consistency. And it's but, what you listeners are going to be able to expect from now on. I promise you that. We've got a lot of great stuff going on, finishing one Masters 1000, starting up another. But do we have any news before that? I think we do. Well, I mean, do U.S. Open main draw wildcards to two Americans count as news? or? Oh, of course it does. Well, then why don't we go over to Lerner TN winning Kalamazoo and Clairvian Gunway winning at Billie Jean King Girls National Hardcourts, however you say it. But fact of the matter is, both now awarded a U.S. Open wild card. Lerner Tien now defending his title successfully against Trevor Svida, who, coincidentally, his brother Zachary Svida was the last person to win back-to-back Kalamazoo titles. Fun fact. Yeah, I knew, I knew we recognized that last name. But Lerner Tien, I mean, obviously, Archie, you know a lot about him. You've written some, uh, some articles, some stuff. Um, what do you think makes his game so compelling, and how do you see him doing in the main draw? Realistically, like, I think it's just the consistency and the stability of his ground game. Like, when you're taking a look at his contact point on his forehand and his backhand, you can't help but be amazed that someone that young is able to consistently produce that much depth and spin from that position on the court. Lerner's incredibly athletic as well. Really good serve for his size. Just an all-around complete player, someone we can really expect to make some noise as a young American in the men's draw soon. It'll be I'll be interested to see how the U.S. Open wild cards work because, well, first of all, you've got Ethan Quinn now after winning the NCAA individual title as an American. You've got Lerner Tien winning the Kalamazoo final and now getting a wild card in, and odds are you'd probably think that Alex Mickelson's going to get a wild card entry. So some really young and interesting Americans coming into the main draw. So hopefully we'll see some great matches and maybe a solid run from one of them. And I think everything, as always, for both um, Lerner and Clarvy is going to d- rely on uh, what draw they get and how lucky they get with that draw. Because you could get like a Novak Djokovic or an Igor Sviantec in the first round, or you could get, you know, world number 100, 200, whatever. Um, yeah, or just generally somebody from the lower end of the of the ranking spectrum, but you never know. And I think um, we'll definitely go over them more uh, when we head into and when we get the main draw. But we have some Masters one thousands to go over, so let's start off in Canada where we just ended off. Where do we want to start? Start first, Toronto, Montreal. Any preferences? Either or, dealer's choice, baby. Fine, then let's just throw it over to Montreal. Jesse right. Pagula breakthrough. Well, well, would you call it a break? I mean, she's won a Masters one thousand before, but, but I wouldn't call it a breakthrough. But I would. It, but it's call been a while. It, I would call it her solidifying her status at the top of the game. It's been a second. It's been a second. Um, but no, she played great all tournament. Um, had to take out some really, really heavy hitters from Coco Golf to Iga Swiatek, Samsonova, who had a phenomenal week. But let me let's let's get right into it. There were some controversies and some opinions to be had about the way that scheduling worked out. Now, no one can deny that Jesse played phenomenal all week. No one's going to deny that. But Arch, I'll throw it over to you. If you were Samson over, if you were on her team, how would you feel knowing that right after playing a heavy three setter against Rybakina, 
Now, just a few hours later, you now have to go into a final against a fresh and rested Jesse Pagula. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious. I would be devastated. That might not even be the right word. Quite frankly, I'd be enraged at the fact that my opponent would seemingly have that much more of a rest advantage compared to what I had. And honestly, I think, and Rybakina would have said the same thing too had she won. She clearly had some concerns about, excuse me, sorry. She clearly had some concerns about the scheduling issues. And after already playing a couple of multi-day matches when I believe she went two days with Jennifer Brady due to rain delay and just all the scheduling fiascos that happened in Montreal just bled through all the way to the final. Now, am I saying that Jessica Pagula is not a deserving a deserving Masters 1000 champion because of the fact that her opponent, which whoever won, would have had a rest disadvantage? No, that is the reality of tennis, is that you know that these things could be happening beforehand. Ultimately, you wouldn't like to see them happening, but I, do, I really do sympathize with both um both semifinalists no and i think regardless of what would have happened i'm just gonna come out here and say it i think that jesse still would have won if you look at the titles that she's been playing all week it's been high class some of the best that we've seen from her definitely in my opinion the best we've seen from her this season um much cleaner ball striking consistent deep flat balls the game that she played out i would say we we saw this jesse last at the united cup and that was in January. Um, at yeah, least I mean, I'd, I'd agree. I thought, I mean, I thought she was playing at a really high level prior to her Australian Open. Was it a quarterfinal loss? Think so. Yeah, I would say that that was probably the most impressive form that she's shown. And it's not a coincidence. I feel that she's managed to play her best tennis on the hard courts this year. And I mean, that's, I think, the expected. I mean, that's also what we expect from most players. Um, In that top portion, I would say the only, I'll say from that, I'd say top five, right? Was that Iga, Jesse, Mm -hmm. Sabalenka, Rabakina, Jabir. The only one that I would expect their peak to come on a different season is Iga with the clay. But every other one of them, I would have expected their peak to come on the hard court. Just because I think For that sure. they just do so well on it. And you look at Rabakina. You could argue Rabakina with, gra- with grass, but I mean, some of her biggest successes have come on the hard court. And this is such a good portion of the season for a lot of them because they've been growing and pro- and progressing throughout the entire season. So I think it's just super impressive to see this from Jesse, but also I think we also expected this from Jesse. And also, this is going to be such a strong. Um, a strong push for her because it is the North American swing and because this is, you know, that home territory. And the Americans, as we know, are so... They feed off the crowd so well, and they love that home court energy, and I think that's what Jesse felt this week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it could Even though go it wasn't both ways. necessarily American, but, you know. No, I guess... <laughs> I, honestly, I think just the most important thing is just feeling at home on the North American hard courts. Yeah. Like, let's be real. For how well and consistent Jessica Pagula has been across all surfaces in this two, three-year stretch that she's been an elite player, hardcourts are still her best surface, in my opinion. I agree. 100% I agree. If I'm not mistaken, her greatest, I mean, her best results have also come at the two hardcourt slams above, you know, Wimbledon or, or the French. Yeah. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how she progresses. If she can translate this kind of success to the slams and make a real push. I mean, it's no surprise to say that Pagula would have been disappointed with her recent slam runs. Like, because if, she, if she's not reaching the semifinals or the finals of these slams, I feel like she would be a little disappointed. And as she should be, because she should have that level of expectation for herself and her belief that the quality of tennis that she plays is good enough to be winning slams. Yeah, 100% agreed. And I think... And honestly, what I think was a big breakthrough, sorry to cut you off, but what I think was a big breakthrough for her and what could be very helpful for her to carry over that confidence is the fact that she's beaten Iga this year. I know she had previously beaten Iga... 
I know she had previously beaten Iga at the United Cup. Whatever. It was the United Cup. Like, yeah. let's be real. <laughs> but now she's done it in the Masters 1000 semifinal. Cotton Eye Joe playing in the middle of the third set aside. <laughs> she still managed to find a way and get through that match and beat someone who has often been seen as someone who often just beats her down, right? And yeah. isn't, you know, a rival, but more of a... She she is the Goliath to Jess Pagula's David. Yeah. And oftentimes it kind of feels like the Serena Sharapova rivalry, where you can see them as on-court rivals, but at the same time, when you look at the head-to-head, it's a bit more one-sided, right? Like, people always saw, like, Serena and Sharapova being at this, like, back and forth, back and forth, and that's how it felt, but, like... When you look at the satellite, I think Sharapova. I think I think Sharapova only beat Serena like twice. I think it was. I think her the head to head is something like seventeen to three, something like that. And I think that's. I think it's like you said. It's going to be a big confidence booster for Jesse to go into the U.S. Open knowing that she has beaten the defending champion before, and now you have the home crowd advantage. There's some. There's some weight to that, but I think on the on the positive side. Um, for both Iga and Rabakana, they've proven to themselves that they always can hang at this level, and there's no shame falling in a semifinal, um, especially falling to, at least for Iga, falling to Jesse Pagula. I wouldn't say that's shame at all. I mean, Jesse's a top-class player, and Samsonova has been on fire all week. So I would say no yeah. shame to Rabakana either, and also to push it to three sets after yeah. playing. Especially, like, exactly. Spoiler, especially after, in my the opinion, physical. the match of the tournament. For the women's side, yeah. I, I mean, throw that over to just, you. Yeah, yeah. Just given how physical the run that um, Rubakina had going into the semifinal or final, it was it was pretty impressive that she even made it this far and that her body didn't completely fail her. Like I do think there was clearly some soreness with the shoulder. She wasn't serving at her best. She had that taped up in the semifinal. Obviously not to make an excuse, but you can't deny that it certainly played a part in her results. But objectively, for all these players, it is all about a lead-up towards the U.S. Open. No matter how well you do at Montreal or Cincinnati, ultimately these players want to be peaking in New York. So So let me ask, I already said mine. But what would you say for the women's, uh, for Montreal, was your match of the tournament? Mine, probably Rabakina versus Kasatkina. I hate to be regular schmegular, but I mean, yeah, I'm a long three-setter well, but... at a high caliber of tennis that ends at near 3 a.m. in the morning. And they both fought hard. And it was yeah. so good from both sides. It wasn't one of those where, like, it was long because they both sucked. It was long because they were both good. You know? Yeah, it wasn't a sure. who's going to lose. It was a who's going to win. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with that as well. I, as, as much as it pains me to say it, given that I picked Daria Kasakina in our <laughs> draft that we did prior to the North American hardcourt swing. You don't need to talk but, about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I'm winning, so it doesn't really <laughs> matter that much. Well, neither of us picked any of the finalists. Um, and... The player who went the farthest that was drafted was my pick. So, you know. I believe in quantity over <laughs> one player <laughs> reaching a semifinal. I know. Uh, that's why the men's side is going to suck for me. Yeah, it's been awful. I still don't understand your Novak pick, given the fact that he's not going to play half the tournaments for the rest of the year. But you know what? You do you. I mean, I, regre- may- I regret not picking center. I forgot how good he he tends to be at this stretch of the year. Yeah, but but if but you, you look still- at but if you look realistically, I think Novak's the one that's going to put the biggest fight to Carlos in exactly. uh, in New York. So, and I still have Hubie, who yeah. proved like we'll get there. But I'm just prefacing it now. Hubie proved that he's a force to be reckoned with at this portion of the season with the way he played against Alcaraz. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, I think, I think Hubie played well, but that's not something that we haven't seen from her catch. 
Like, well, I think yeah. we know what we're getting from him. And to be honest, I don't think Alcaraz played very well in that match and still found a way through, which, again, is a credit to Alcaraz and not a indictment on Hubie's abilities. So we're already stretching the men's side too much. Let's let's we'll close up on the women's side. Any final thoughts, takeaways as we head into Cincinnati from the women's side from Montreal? Well, heading into Cincinnati, I think it'll be interesting to see how... I mean, everything's just about the big three, isn't it? It's Sabalenka, Shriantek, Rabakina. I'm just going to be interested to see who is able to carry forward momentum and who feels like they're in a good position, both physically and mentally, to really challenge at the U.S. Open. I mean, if you had asked me at the start of the year... Sabalenka looked phenomenal, but she's she's started to waver a little bit just in terms of her just mental fatigue, I guess, would be the way you put it. Obviously, she still managed to perform incredibly well at the Slams, has been one point away from a French Open final, a couple points away from a Wimbledon final after winning an Australian Open title this year. So, yeah. Yeah, I we'll, I we'll get be... there when we preview Cincinnati, but I will say Sabalenka for me has the most to prove when it comes to Cincinnati, and I think also has the most to prove to herself. Uh, if you look at how she did here, obviously Samsonova played phenomenal, but that is not to say that Sabalenka should not feel disappointed um, to bow out in what third? What was it? Third round of um, uh, fourth one thousand, lost in the round of sixteen. It's still should be a little disappointing to her and it's going to be Cincinnati where she needs to prove something to herself because she's going to head to New York and it's much better to head in there with some confidence and with some results and some solid backing from the last two Masters uh, 1000 events so another player that I do want to touch on really quickly before we head in to this is Coco Goff just given the immense success that she's had. I thought she was able to carry forward a lot of her momentum from the DC title. I mean, beat Vondrasova 6-3-6 love. Yep. Bageling a Wimbledon champion, no matter what level they're playing at, is quite impressive. And at some point, the streak did have to end. It's interesting that it did end to someone who probably knows her game better than anyone in Jesse Pagula. But honestly, I don't think Coco played very well in that match. I thought she was a little bit up and down, just given the quality of her serve and her forehand and just overall shot tolerance. I think it could have been improved from Goff, but still an incredibly encouraging couple of weeks. I'm excited about how she'll fare at the U.S. Open specifically. I mean, obviously, Cincinnati's still yet to come, but all eyes are in New York, right? Absolutely. But to the men's side, because their eyes are also very set on New York. Carlos Alcaraz had a little bit of a tough go. The defending champ in New York had a really had a really tough tournament. Tough match against Ben Shelton, even though the scoreline doesn't reflect it. Tough against Hubie. And then a three-setter loss to Tommy Paul. What, w- what would you take away for, for Carlos from this tournament? It was a rough go. Um, I really wouldn't say anything long-term. Like, I think there has been a consistent, I don't want to say disappointment, but I think there's been a a drop-off in level of play from Wimbledon champions going into Canada every year on the men's side specifically. I think it's hard to just carry over that form and just the, the rigors of tour play. Maybe you kind of underestimate that once you've, already accomplished you know something as big as winning a Wimbledon title but I again I'm not I'm not concerned long term with how Alcaraz feels it was a couple of bad matches and honestly I was more impressed with the fact that he was able to get through a lot of those matches even without playing at his best there's there's still a legitimate possibility that he beats Tommy Paul and I don't think he played well until probably the third set against Tommy and I don't think he played well against I don't think he played that well against Ben or against Hubie Hercouch. So am I worried about Alcaraz's potential in New York and beyond? No, I'm not. Is it something to maybe monitor as we go through to see if, you know, his this kind of level continues from him? Absolutely, but I wouldn't be shocked if he, you know, comes up and just wins Cincinnati. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think the big test is going to be how he does in Cincinnati. Like you said, Wimbledon champions into Canada, sometimes rough, often rough. Um, 
And Cincinnati, once they're more settled on hardcore, is it going to be a bigger test? Also, because it's yeah. just immediately before the U.S. Open. And, and I also feel like Cincinnati is always kind of a better reference point for the U.S. Open. I think it's more relative. I think it's more of atmospherically, a, if that's a word. Would you? Yeah, say that? but I, th- I think I think more. It's just it's just a better comparison to what you're more likely to see at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Generally, the winner of Cincinnati does well at the U.S. Open, which, surprise, surprise, someone who's good enough to win a Masters 1000 the week before the U.S. Open can also do well at the U.S. Open. Like, it's not a an outrageous take, but I just think it does need to be said. I think Cincinnati's results are maybe a little bit more replicable at the U.S. Open than they are in, say, Toronto. But I... All this dilly-dallying aside, I think it's time we talk about Yannick Sinner. I'm surprised we've made it 20 minutes in without bringing it up. Finally. Honestly, like, that's all I have to say about this win. Finally. It's taken long enough. I'm very surprised that it's taken this long for him to get a Masters 1000 win. He's just such a high-caliber player. And I know it, like, I know he's super young. I'm just saying in terms of I just thought this would have come last year or the year before. It, I think it was. I thought it was. I thought for sure it was going to happen last year. I just think he's such a high caliber player and he's so good. But I'll, I'll bring this up, um, Archer. We spoke about this last night over text. I just think Yannick Center to me lacks an X factor, the big weapon in the game. In his game that, you know, the same way that I would say, like, Andrew Rublev and Berrettini have their forehand. Or, like, half the Americans have their have their serve. There's something lacking that's that big, this is what I punch to get my, you know, to win my points. The big, like, wow shot. I think Sinner's wow factor is his consistency. But consistency can only get you so far. And you said that yesterday. With clean ball well, striking, it only gets you so far. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even say the consistency. I think it's just the... I mean, Yannick Center was made to strike a tennis ball. Yep. Like, let's let's be real. When you watch him play, the contact point is always pristine. He's incredibly good at just getting really good spin, depth, pace off of every ground stroke he hits. The serve continues to improve. He's starting to implement different features like the drop shot, maybe a little bit of the backhand slice is getting in there. He's become more of a willing volleyer under Darren Cahill. Now he knows where to go with his volleys and where to position yes. himself on court, which I think is half the battle won when it comes to improving as a volleyer in today's game. But and first of all, I think we should credit Darren Cahill for that, adding those elements to Yannick Sinner's game, uh, recognizing that We've clean ball striking only. Yeah, recognizing that clean ball striking only does get you so far. But one thing I do want to bring up is that I'm I don't completely agree that I'm surprised that it took Sinner this long. I mean, yes, to some extent, I am surprised that it's 2023 and it's the and almost close to the end of the year, and he's finally won a Masters 1000. But I just don't think he was physically ready last year. And I think this is really the first year that he's been ready physically. And Because last year was all about reaching the quarterfinals and the semifinals. And somehow there'd be some injury niggle or something. And, and proving. Would, yeah. And he would falter a little bit. This year, he's managed to kind of get that consistency and is starting to finish some of these runs and is getting to semis. And I mean, he's now reached two semis and a final at the 1000 level in 2023 and you kind of just felt like it was inevitable that he would eventually get the win maybe he just needed I, I know a lot of people will talk about the quality of the draw and say oh sinner had a bit of a cakewalk first of all it wasn't a cakewalk second of all i mean it's well overdue right given that he the players yeah. he's, re, he's faced in a master's in the latter stages have been you know carlos alcaraz daniel medvedev who is generally just a matchup problem for sinner and even, even so much as at slams, reaching the semifinals and playing Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon. So I, I think that if you ask me, this accomplishment is right on time for Yannick Sinner. Like, I don't think 
It was. I think okay. I'm gonna agree with you that it's the that it's the right time, but I'm still gonna maintain that I'm surprised that it didn't happen a little bit earlier. Um, because there's obviously like right time versus when you think it might happen, and I thought it would happen last year, and I think center fans will go back to Miami of was that last yeah Miami last year against Hubi Hartcatch in the final. Uh, that was actually 21. Was that 21? Yeah. Am I? Oh my god, that was even earlier. God. Yeah, it, it's I been a while for Hubie too. Yeah, Dang. Then, yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think people will will go back to that final, and that was I think the pro the like the proving to himself and the world that he's ready for this caliber of play, that he's ready to hang with the big dogs, making it that far. Yeah, Hubie was just on fire that week, and we know Hubie in Florida is just a different animal. Yeah. Um, I think maybe there was just a level of stagnation from Yannick in yeah. the year after that, where I don't think he stagnated, to be honest. I think he had clearly improved his quality as a player. And sometimes it is about just taking one step back to take two steps forward, right? I think, and I think recognizing that and adding Darren Cahill to the team and beginning to implement little, you know, just just slight nuances to his game that have really improved. Like all the changes he's made to his serve stance and how he has, you know, shifted his motion over the years to kind of generate the best possible serve that he can out of that. And I think that's evident in what you see in his improvement year by year. It maybe hasn't been the meteoric rise that we've seen from someone like Carlos Alcaraz, but if you're looking at his win percentage by year, and these are stats courtesy of Gil Gross, thanks Gil, uh, 2019, 52%. 2020, 64.5%. 2021, 69%. 2022, 73%. And 2023, now it's 79% on the year. So clearly he's he's steadily improved year by year regarding win percentage and ranking. You can see that with how he's continued to progress in the rankings. But I just think it's more important we reward both consistency but consistent improvement and to me that is what this week was all about and it was well deserved for Yannick and I think um it was a very smart move to switch to Darren Cahill because one coach can only do so much and teach so much and improve you so much in one aspect and you have to hire and take on different coaches to to learn and improve different things, you need to, like you said, take a step back to take two steps forward. Understand what's wrong with your game, what needs to be improved about your game. Um, you think back to, I think my first thought goes to Roger Federer when he brought uh, Stefan Edberg on his team because he understood the importance of improving his serve and his volley game. And so yeah. just the ability to understand that maybe you love this coach, but somebody else is going to teach you and improve you with something on something different. And Darren Kale was very smart, um, was a very smart choice, fits very well with Sinner's game, and you're seeing it, you know, flourish here. I just think this is such a good, you know, showing and such a good confidence booster heading into Cincinnati and in the greater picture, New York. But I think across the net from him in that final also deserves a lot of credit for the improvements that he's made, and that's Alex Diminor. Um Yeah. I don't I, I just I just don't have the words like there has been so much questioning around Demonor and how he would do and how, you know, how he'd be able to progress. And I think this week he's shown the side of him that is worthy of making these latter stages of big tournaments. And it makes him worthy of, you know, the rep, the reputation that he has as such a good player. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And. I think the word that everyone kind of talks about when considering Demonor is solid. But yeah. I think this year he's I think this year he's proved that and you know many people have said like this year was a make or break year for Demonor and you know we need a big run from him to really consolidate himself as one of those guys at the top of the game who are relevant in bigger titles. To, to be honest, I'm still not overly convinced that you know he's going to start contending for these masters 1000 titles and slam second weeks uber consistently now do i always feel like he's a lock to get to the third round of whatever tournament he plays for sure but I, th- you can't deny that this is certainly a, a great step in the right direction 
beating Davidovich Fakina six one six three in after Davidovich Fakina was so hot this week, and then just the win over Medvedev seven six seven six or seven six seven five excuse me, but I, those wins matter right, and the fact that Demonor has consistently gotten them is, and even even the win over Taylor Fritz right who is someone we don't talk about in the same light as Demonor right because Fritz has weapons and maybe we we don't talk about Demonor because of the fact that he doesn't provide that I I think what you talked about with Sinner but to a much greater extent he doesn't have an it factor other than the speed no, yeah. right that's what I was going to get right right uh, next I mean with Demonor I would love to see some improvement on the ground stroke and the penetration of his ground strokes his ground strokes are Honestly, they fit the word solid. They fit the word solid. They're dependable. They're consistent, but they don't penetrate. You need shots that will win you points or at least force your opponents to make mistakes. Um, that's where his forehand has started to go, to go, in my opinion. His backhand... Is there a better word to describe it than a push? Like... I don't well, know. If I, don't think, a, I don't think it's a push. I think it's just more of a. It's a. It's a bit more. It's a bit like push. Push I, is an understatement, but I don't know what better word describes it. It's a very shovel. strong push. It's a very shovel. Shove. Yeah, sure. Like, it's it's a very strong push, but it just it doesn't have. I don't know. It, there's no force of like that's gonna win me a point. It's the shot that just kind of sets up the forehand or sets up whatever his next go is going to be. Yeah, that's fair. And it um, feels very Berrettini-esque. Just Berrettini uses a slice. Okay, well, but let, let's be clear. No, Demon but backhand is worlds better than Berrettini. Well, well yes. But well, yes. I understand but my, point, but my point, though, point being yeah. that Berrettini uses his slice backhand to set up the forehand. Yeah, I, under, I understand your point. On his day, Demonor is deserving yeah, a fantastic of, these, player, of, phenomenal. of these results. Yeah. I just need a little bit more... There, I, I agree with you. There's not much of an it factor besides yeah. for speed. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he's, honestly, in my opinion, I think he fits the word underrated, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't think enough people give him the credit that he deserves. Yeah, absolutely. And not to put a negative spin on what was clearly a career week for him well, and yeah. a breakthrough. It just, am I, am I going to be picking him to be winning Masters 1000 titles and reaching the semifinals of slams? No, probably not. But... You know, I just, I feel like this is clearly a spot where Demonor has made, can make, if he can sustain this level over the course of a couple of weeks, then yeah, maybe we start looking at it as a different just direction. Demonor is nothing but consistent and solid. I just need to see him be consistently great and not consistently good. Yeah. I think when you look at Demonor and then you look across the net at Sinner, Sinner's Sinner's shots, when he's confident, I, I hate continually using the same word, but they penetrate, they force, they force errors out of your opponent, or they force a win. There's some level of, I, I don't know how to describe it, it's just a level yeah. of, of penetration that just really, really works. Yeah, and it ju- it just felt like he in that match was bunting the ball back and letting yeah. Yannick take the risks and take the momentum in the points and take control of the rallies. And once Sinner did that, like there wasn't much that Demonar could do just because he doesn't have the weapons to really counteract yeah. what Yannick does on court. And I think Demonar did show like really good tactical focus and incredible rally tolerance to win the majority of those baseline rallies. Like, even though that Yannick has such a, even though there's such a huge discrepancy in terms of power between the two of them, but I just feel like his serve was so ineffective compared to Yannick's. And it's just. Simply I put, I just, I just think Sinner's shots win points. Yeah. And there's there's no shame in being overpowered by Yannick Sinner because, frankly, almost everyone on the Pro Tour can be overpowered, overpowered by Sinner. But Demonar can't really overpower anybody else himself, right? And you don't have to to be successful at the men's game. I mean, take a look at Daniil Medvedev. He doesn't really win by overpowering his opponents. But 
But he but he forces a lot of mistakes. He has enough power where you can force a mistake if you play your shots smartly. Yeah. And if you use that Demonor might be, and Demonor Demonor might be faster, but, but Medvedev's court coverage might be a little better and he just gets more free points out of his serve too that Demonor doesn't yeah. get. I just think that Medvedev's shots win they they win points off of forcing it. Maybe not as many winners as like a Yannick Sinner, but like yeah, he they indirectly force forces errors, his opponents I think into mistakes. Yeah, just Demonor, if he adds some aggression, he could be a force to be reckoned with because he has the consistency, he has the speed, he lacks the aggression. Yeah, and I think he, I think he really has made improvements to the yes. serve, and his volleys are great, great net game, great feel, a really good net rusher. I, I don't know what it's going to take to get to that next level where he's consistently bullying his opponents on the court right power not goading them into yeah but i don't know where he adds that is the thing the ground strokes is what i would say i think his volley game is strong enough because he's smart enough to understand how to use those angles and how to place the ball in the right place and i understand what you're saying 100 percent. i just think there lacks aggression and power on the ground strokes that could do so much damage and could do so much for his game well, I, I but I think it's pretty clear that like, yes, the ground strokes are what need to be improved. But I don't know how he does that given his technique. I like, I don't know how much more muscle Demonar could put on, and it, does that negatively negatively impact his movement and how he plays the game? And there's just so many questions that yeah. are brought up when you have that, and just with the extreme grip that he has on the forehand, it feels like it's difficult to generate pace. Same thing with the backhand because he seems to always be cutting it from the side yeah. instead of really hitting through it. Like I don't know. I was gonna say that's why that's why I said when from. you look at that backhand, that's why I said the word push or shove, whatever the heck you want to use, because there's so little. You can generate so little power with the way that he hits his backhand, yeah. and and not to not to say that that backhand can't be effective. I think it can. It stays very low. It skids on court. He takes it early and on the rise. But there's and, you know yeah. redirects pace. But but there's a difference between effectiveness and aggression. You know, yeah. effectiveness can win you points, but aggression will win you more points. And the way that well, effective aggression, I guess. Well, sure. His his. His technique is like, great. I like everything you said about his backhand was on my talking points. Taking the ball early, moving into the court, he does very well. It just yeah. lacks but I, yeah. the power, the the follow through. There's no well, I think plow. He, like it's just it's a it's yeah, a I mean, his I entire game that, is a redirection think, of pace. Yeah. I mean I understand that, but I do think at the same time that his whole game is a redirection of pace. I don't think it like the technique isn't isn't amazing to be honest. Like he doesn't really come over the ball or come through it. I okay. Right? I'll say I'll say it in terms of like what I mean. Like technique is great in my opinion. I don't mean it in terms of like the arm motion itself. I mean in terms of he positions his body the very contact, well. Yes, yeah. The contact is brilliant. He, and like he does a great job of absorbing. He does a pace. very good job yeah. of positioning his his body to a good point where he's able to take the ball early, where he's able to get in front of that, in front of the ball and control where it goes. Like we said, that redirection of pace, just putting his body in the right position where he's able also to elongate his arms and all that. Just, yeah, the art, the arm part itself is where the lack of pace comes from. Listen, well, that's enough piling. Yeah, we've, we've, I don't know how we've to, managed to, end, to turn such yeah. a positive result to end it all, into a To end it all, spin. this has been a phenomenal week for him. I was jumping for joy when I saw that he had beaten um, Davidovich Fakina. I did not catch the end of that match. Um, it just, and it's, this is what yeah. he needed, I think, yeah. for his. And again, listeners, I just, I just want to point out, the, we are the, high. swing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I just want to point out that we are high on Divinor. Like we don't dislike him. We're saying this because we would like to see him improve. Yeah, this is a very pro Alex Divinor <laughs> podcast. It just so happens to be the fact that Alex Divinor just doesn't have the weapons to really be at tier one of the game, and that there's no shame in that, right? There's only so many players it, but, in tier one. Yeah, but if but if he does want to get there, and we know he wants to get there, Demonor is one of the few players on the world who 
just you don't you never question the intensity and the intent and the determination and the drive you just you just feel yourself wanting more at the end of a lot of his matches with that said to wrap up this men's side i'm just going to quickly go over um say three or four names that i'd like to shout out and kind of give mention to that we haven't to yet um Tony Paul, great week. Uh, we mentioned him briefly being Alcaraz, but credit needs to be given to the fact that he had to beat Sarundolo and Marco Giron, which is my second shout-out. Marco Giron, career victory over Holger Runa. Played f- amazing in that match. Um, and the other player that I wanted to shout-out was, and it's and it feels so good to say his name because it's been so long, Gael Monfils. Um There's nothing to be ashamed or disappointed of losing to Sinner. After beating Sitsipas and Alexander and a hot Alexander Vukic, um, no shame in losing to a high caliber player like Yannick Center. Um, yeah, and I thought, I thought Monfils played very he well played great. against Center as well. He played great. To take him to three sets there is, time, yeah. you know. Yeah. Are there times where I wished Monfils had been a little bit more aggressive and less reactive to what Center was doing? Yeah, for sure. But I I could say that about a lot of Gael Monfils matches, and I'm yeah. just so grateful to have him back at this level. That to just have him generally we'll still him, playing. Yeah, we'll we'll give him a pass, right? <laughs> With that said, anyone else that you uh, would like to shout out? Think that they had a great enough week? Well, yeah. And- I mean, I do. I I want to shout out Mackie McDonald. Oh yeah, just a yeah big win uh, beating Andre Rublev as well. Just really good success. Um, who else did he beat? Milos Raonic. Oh yes, beat. Ra- oh, let's, let's give a shout out to Raonic as well for that yeah. amazing match against Francis Tiafo. Um, yeah, I think it's it's. I mean, the big thing for me with watching Raonic and Monfils is that it's very nice to see them come back. Um, at this strength that they were at this past week. Maybe it's not the result that they entirely wanted. Sure, they bowed, they bowed out in the round of 16, but still so much to be proud of. Um, and yeah, j- and just a couple more guys that I want to show. Um, Alexander Vukic just continuously solidifying his level in the top 100 after that breakthrough week in Atlanta. I was able to see him win those matches firsthand, and it, I, it's no surprise to me that Vukic is able to sustain that level just from the way he was hitting the ball that week and just how comfortable he looked at this level. So shout out to him. Shout out to Diallo, former Kentucky star, Gabriel Diallo, winning his first ATP Tour level match at a Masters 1000, beating Dan Evans in two really tight sets at his home tournament. So just big win for him. Yeah. And with that said, two our final segment today, Cincinnati previews. Let's get into it. Anyone that you see immediately off the bat, let's start with the women's with the hard draw because I know where mine is going. What? Okay, well then why don't you take the lead? Then? Oh, it's Sabalenka, hands down. Her her first few matches look very difficult. Um, sure, she has a buy into the round of thirty-two where she'll face. Either Ann Lee or Magdalenette, who had a breakthrough at the Australian Open, and I know her game very well. Who would have guessed? Um, but her potential round of 16, also very difficult. You look at those four ladies up there, all phenomenal players. Kasatkina had that absolute marathon against Rabakina, uh earlier uh, last week. Peyton Stearns, um, you know, breakout college star. And then this match, if I have to say one match on the women's side that is the one to watch for this first round. Svitolina versus the return of Caroline Wozniacki. Oh boy, oh, I am excited yeah. for this. Um Yeah, Svitolina who was phenomenal originally the yeah, the ultimate player comeback player of the year. And look at that, Wozniacki comes back to give her a run for her money, so I have to say though, I'm I'm very intrigued with how Wozniacki's gonna do um, I thought she played really well in her two matches in uh, Montreal. Yeah. I was able to watch both of them. I think if she was able to do that with such a quick return back to the tour, it'll be interesting to see what happens once she's, you know, able to consistently get reps in at this level. Absolutely. And just get back. To, yeah. And she's I, clearly a, she hasn't yeah. forgotten how to play tennis. She, so. She's such a good player as is. And, you know, she's always been such a high caliber player. Um 
I'll reserve my opinions <laughs> on Caro. Um, and, and if there's any curiosity, I will just briefly say, I just, with all respect, I think she's a phenomenal player. I don't find her very exciting to watch. Um, her game is very, like, safe, I think. And safe could be a good thing, because it won her a Grand Slam and has made her multiple Slam finals. She's like yeah, the Andy. She, she's been world she's like the one. Andy like, Roddick of the women's tour. Made world number one, multiple Slam finals. Couldn't finish it over Serena, the same way Andy couldn't finish it over Roger. Got their one title in the end, and you know, I just I listen. I love Wozniacki. I think she's a great player. I just, it's not someone that I would like voluntarily choose to sit down and watch two hours of. Just because her her game, there's no wow factor. And that's why I think it excites me for her playing against Svelina, a player that, in my opinion, does have a wow factor. If you look at her run at Wimbledon, played out of her mind, and especially to be doing so well after coming back from that long break, um, I think that's going to be a very exciting match. But back to topic, I think whoever Sabalenka gets, those first two rounds, she's going to get put through the ringer. And yeah, with her confidence absolutely. at a low for bowing out of Montreal so quickly, like a, like a Lynette, a Svitolina, a Kazakina, even Wozniacki, they will take advantage of that. And the Americans yeah, can never sure. be counted out. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, I'm not a Caroline Wozniacki hater like you are. I'm just kidding. But... <laughs> Not a hater, but not. Listen, I'm, I'm not the. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Yeah. Not the most excited. I'm, I mean, I'm excited to see her play. It's just, you know, do I feel like it's? Do I feel like she's going to be a contender for these titles <laughs> this week? No, but give it I time. Think I think she just. Yeah, I think. It, I, I think why I think Svitolina provided a great blueprint for a lot of these players. Yeah. Is like get your feet wet on tour for a little bit, and you know, there's a it's a it's a possibility, right? I mean, not everyone is going to be Alina Svitolina. We've certainly seen many comebacks failed and rebooted over and over again. Just haven't been able to quite yeah. get that run of form that's required. But, you know, I I wouldn't put it past a former world number one and someone yeah. as good as Caroline Wozniacki to... The, w- the way that really... I just see it, I think Wozniacki needs to take this... Tor- um, she took Mon- Montreal and now take this tournament to kind of understand where the women's game is at. It's been three years. Um, understanding. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like the level has drastically changed. No, I don't think it's changed. But my point being that I think the names that are at the top and I think the dynamic of the tour has changed. I think when Wozniacki was in her prime, you were looking at a few dominant, predominantly Serena Williams just dominating. And now you have, multiple ladies just fighting and going at it every time. And Wozniacki, to my knowledge, I don't think she's ever played against Sviantek at this level. Like, if I'm not mistaken, did, did Wozniacki retire before Sviantek even won her first slam? I think she might have. It yeah, was definitely the same did. year. But I don't think Wozniacki has played against Sviantek at this level. She has not played at Sabalenka or Rybakina when they're at this level just need needs to take this time to understand the dynamic of the tour because it's changed a lot since she was in her prime and understand what she needs to do. Her game can still maintain itself right now. When I said, when I said, you know, boring does not mean ineffective. Her game is still, still holds up. Her level of consistency, her movement will all, will still hold up. Just, I think the question is going to be how she kind of understands and navigates her way through this tour dynamic, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. And I think, um, I'm, I'm curious to see how Sabalenka does, because if she can get past those first few rounds, this is going to be a big one for her, for her confidence heading into New York. If she doesn't have a deep run here, just her confidence is going to falter when it comes to New York. And I think part of her... Um, successes in Australia at the beginning of the year, what we mentioned. Confidence was very high. Her temper was, you know, very under control. You didn't see many outbursts. Um, 
And I think that's going to be really important for her to maintain. This is probably, I would say, outside of, like, from the other three, from the French Wimbledon in the U.S., this is her best shot of of getting a second major if she does it this year. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, obviously I thought Wimbledon was a great shot for her. I mean, she won. I Well, not she won, but I had her winning in my bracket that we did prior to the start of the tournament. But, yeah, no... <laughs> It's very possible that Sabalenka still has a great run at the U.S. Open, even if she doesn't do well here in Cincinnati. But it would be very beneficial for her confidence and just her level at the moment if she was able to get a deep run in this week. Same with Sviantek, really anyone. I mean, nothing to sneeze at going deep at a Masters 1000, especially one as important as Cincinnati. Also, Sviantek also does not have it very easy either. I wouldn't say, like, harder than uh, Sabalenka, but... Danielle Collins gave her a real big fight in Montreal, um, and Eagle will have to see her earlier this time around. Um, and then you look further down, Kudmatova, always um, a very fierce competitor, and Venus Williams, who you never know. Uh, Kinwen Zhang, someone that we've talked about earlier in the season, um, to be one of our new rising stars. She's also got Von Drusova. If you look a f- little farther down, Von Drusova, Sloan Stevens, you never know what could happen. Um, again, the beauty of tennis. Uh, Rabakina also not the easiest draw. It's just overall a very stacked draw. I think all great players. Samsonova's not even like Samsonova's not even uh, seated at this event, which is crazy <laughs> given that she just made the final in Montreal. But yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see how things go. And obviously, like we've said, and we will echo throughout um, the rest of the episode for sure, such a vital tournament to have a good result in. There's only one winner, but even having a semifinal or final run here could be paramount to confidence levels heading into New York. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, shifting gears, why don't we head over to the men's side where finally we're going to see the return of Novak Djokovic. Right, so, haven't seen him since that Wimbledon final. Get me some points, Novak. Come on, <laughs> where he lost to Carlos Alcaraz in that astonishing Wimbledon final, five sets. Expectations, thoughts. I I saw a lot of people talking about the fact that oh, Novak has an incredibly difficult draw going into this week. Let's be real. If Djokovic is playing his best tennis, he's not gonna lose to many people even if his draw is incredibly tough going towards the final. But just another thing, like he has a lot of players who have previously gone deep in Canada. And I don't think that bodes well for success in Cincinnati. Like Davidovich Fakina, Demonar, Monfils, you know, even guys like Taylor Fritz and Yuri Lehechka battling each other in the first round. Obviously, a tough draw for the both of them. But Yannick Sinner's in his section after winning the tournament. Even Daniil Medvedev's there. So, I don't think this draw is as difficult as people are making it out to be. But at the same time, I do think that, you know, it's it, it could be tricky for him. I hope, you know, once again, that we do get a Djokovic-Alcaraz final. But we'll see. <laughs> but I think, um, I, I totally agree. When Novak's playing his best, there's not many people that can beat him. Um, what I say as a difficult draw, yeah. But every player at this point, same with the women's, is at such a high caliber. And it's not to say that Carlos doesn't have it hard either. Um, Tommy Paul, his potential round of 16 matchup. Um, and obviously a lot of amazing players further down could be getting... I mean, if you look at his half alone, you have Andrzej Rublev, the defending champion Borna Cioric, um, Hubi Hercatch, Ben Shelton. Um, yeah, absolutely. A sne- you know, sneaky players like Vavrinka or Lloyd Harris, um, yeah. Tiafo. I mean, and no one's easy. playing Karen Hachinov back in his return in the first round. We're talking about professional tennis players here. This is no one's easy. It's just a matter of, you know how you play. And I think that's the fascination of tennis that it is reliant on you and how you do. Yeah. And ultimately that is the one thing that you can control in this sport, right? Is your performance. And I think Novak understands that better than anyone. Right. So yeah, like 
can I just say, I'm tired of draw discourse on tennis Twitter. <laughs> like, give, okay, give, I, I, give up the, oh, he has hard draw, easy draw. I know I said it for the women's, but I think at the end of the day, when you look at it holistically, you never know how anyone's going to play on okay. the given day. Exactly. Every and, player like, has had the, an off day. Yeah. Exactly, and at the end of the day, draws don't matter until the players play each other, right? Exactly. So, you never know how it's going to pan out, so I don't understand why we continue to go on this facade about saying, oh, you know, X player has a tough draw, so-and-so, you know, is going to be unable... This is rigged for my favorite player. This is rigged for... What like I'm just I'm and, so and that's why it. when I and, and that's why when I talked about Sabalenka I limited it to those first two three rounds because I don't think it's fair to talk about oh he could play this guy in the, in the semifinal quarterfinal that's so far exactly. away get over it yeah like let's like talk you, like, like if anything t- if you want to do draw discourse let's talk about those first two rounds because they're the most immediate and the most likely like if you want exactly. to talk about oh Novak could potentially see a very hot Davidovich Vakina straight off of a very good run in Montreal or Toronto sorry. That's a very fair point because, yeah, you know, all we have to do to get that situation is Davidovich Vakina wins one match. You know, we're not talking about exactly. five matches down the line when you're looking at a semifinal. Oh, God, he could see Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinal. That's great. Sinner has to get there. Exactly. Novak has to get there. There's a, exactly. baj- there's a bunch of guys in the middle that could stop that. Sarundolo, exactly. Taylor Fritz, Nori, Monfils, Dimonor, um, Lahechka. There's so many guys that could stop that. And if you yeah. want, and if you're and, talking about a semifinal, get out of here. Honestly, there's even more players, you know, to talk about. So let's let's limit yeah. that. Draw and it just course. it just feels like it just it just feels like people are so set on saying, "Oh, this person is going to be in the semifinal." You're trying to tell me that all of you people predicted Yannick Sinner to play Tommy Paul in one semifinal and then Demonar to play Davidovich Vakina in the other semifinal because I mean, tell me if you, if are, you predicted so we need to- If you predicted that second one, Demonar versus Davidovich Vakina, I am taking you to Vegas, please. Well, I mean, if you predicted that, we need to get them on the show. Yeah. Forget, <laughs> forget Vegas, but again, like Let's let's just call let's just cool down on the whole draw discourse and we'll go we'll go match by match and just see how it goes. A hundred percent. I think um it's gonna be very interesting. Obviously, we've mentioned before the importance of doing well at Cincinnati. Um I love the word a point where you look at these draws and almost every player is known by your you know average tennis fan you know most most pe- most average tennis fans know who or at least have heard of john isner uh jordan thompson talon greek spore um lloyd harris uh max purcell chris eubanks ben shelton well yeah um kokonakis you know exactly um yeah. I, the, it, the star power is great yeah. and just I, cincinnati is a fame tournament, one of the best in the U.S. Especially, everyone loves that tournament. Especially our Midwest tennis fans. We know we have a bunch here at Cracked Rackets, but you know, so obviously we'll be sending some of our team over to the event. So be sure to check out all our content that goes out on social media, as well as whatever we release via podcast form, written form. So just keep an eye out, I guess. I guess you've already started the clothes for me. So um, with that said, Arch, I'll throw it over to you. Let's wrap this thing up, buddy. All right. Well, a special shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the editing job that he does day in, day out for us here at Crack Rackets. We truly wouldn't be anywhere without him. So that's that. Be sure to check us out on all our social medias at Suresh Archit on, I guess, the app formerly known as Twitter, <laughs> now known as X. Um, and that, Richard, anything at else? Richard at Richard Crack Rackets. <laughs> And at Crack yeah. Rackets. Uh, make sure you keep up with everything we're doing on socials, podcasting, broadcasting. Um, hopefully you'll be hearing and, more of us. Um, yeah. We're excited and for what the j- future brings. Yeah. yeah. And just a quick little tease to our listeners. Keep an eye out on that Cracked Interviews podcast and maybe on the Cracked Rackets website. You might be seeing something special in a week or so. Ooh. All right. With that said, that's a great way to end things off. That's all the time we have for this week. We'll catch you guys next week. Goodbye.